Ryan, are you there? Hello, Michael. Hello, Internet. Hello, world. Hello, Internet gods, if you are there. Internet gods, we need you because we're having some technical difficulty. So, hello, worldwide Internet gods. This is the Buck and Sack Show. It's Tuesday night at about 8.40 on December the 18th, 2018. This is slated to be our last show of, uh, of the year, of 2018, Ryan. Um, how are you feeling about that? I know we're both a little frustrated that we can't hear each other a little better, but I'm hoping... It's going to be good this time around. But how are you, my man? Happy holidays. Uh, I Happy holidays to you. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm excited for the holidays. I know that obviously we already, we already hit Thanksgiving, but I'm um, excited to see some family here and get a little bit of time away from work yeah. uh, and do a little bit of traveling. Uh, so I'm excited for uh, just wrapping the year up with some, uh, some good people and some good times and then uh, get rolling into 2019. Awesome. Yes. Uh, you know, I think we're going to hit on a little bit. Let, let's just get right into it. Uh, what's your good of the week in this here, our very last show of 2018, the 28th episode of the Buck and Sack show? Yeah, the good of the week is, is really just uh, the good of 2018. You just mentioned it uh, kind of this year and uh, starting this podcast up is um, just one of the many things that have been uh, a big change in my life over the last year. Um, you and I have both, uh, you know, a year ago were in were much different professional situations. Um, I think you were just out of working in TV and I was still working in TV. But um, basically, uh, a lot of life changes for me this year personally as far as um, – moving out of state and uh, getting engaged and now uh, in the process of, of buying a home. Uh, it's been a growing year. It's been a challenging year in a lot of ways. Uh, it's been one of those really like adult years where you have to like take everything really seriously and remind yourself, not even remind yourself, but I just think about a year ago this time, I, I still felt like uh, a kid in San Francisco just paying rent at a cheap apartment and uh, taking the bus to work every day. And now like, real life stuff going on. So, uh, it's just been, it's been a good year though. From, uh, I feel like from a, a growth perspective, uh, for me, certainly for this, this show, this little experiment of ours that we're still doing, uh, 28 episodes later. So, um, you know, I know that it's for you and I say, we appreciate the people who uh, have listened, whether it's a one-off or whether it's a regular thing. And, um, there's some people who've interacted with us on Twitter and, and that's awesome. And, uh, so this has been a lot of fun, but this year has been, uh, has been a uh, kind of a big one, and uh, and I'm pleased uh, that it's uh, no, I don't want to say it's pleased that it's in the rear view, but I'm pleased that it's all gone the way it has, even though it's been uh, a little bit challenging at times. Yeah, it's uh, I hear you, and it's been challenging for both of us, and it's challenging right now hearing each other a little bit. But I think we just got to keep going here, and, <laughs> and I and I appreciate those guys out there that are listening, and I really do appreciate. Um, the, the people that take the time to listen to us talk to each other every week. And, you know, it's, I'll just say to you, Ryan, I really appreciate you giving me your time every week. You know, it, it did sort of start on a whim. Um, I think we're both having a lot of fun with it. I'll just speak for me. I love doing the show. I love doing the show. I love listening back to the show and sort of seeing where I can get better. Uh, and I enjoy sort of thinking all week about the various topics that would be interesting for me to discuss and would be interesting for our listeners to discuss because we have a very small but I think 
somewhat loyal uh, audience out there, and it's always fun to get comments on Twitter or see my friends out and about and them tell me they listen to the show. I was back in Virginia a week ago, and I had some uncles tell me they've been listening to the show. I, I, I had no idea, really, and that was really cool uh, to hear. So, yeah, good for the show. And as, as far awesome. as – no, go ahead, go ahead. No, I just said that's awesome. That's, yeah. That's, that's awesome. I, I, I didn't know that when you were uh, back uh, back on the other coast. And uh, no, that's cool. I mean, I, I've, you know, I get some things from uh, some mutual friends of ours as well. And uh, I've seen a few Twitter interactions. So uh, it's cool that uh, we're not the only two people that care about it. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, it helps me to think, I think, more critically and more fairly about a lot of issues as well. So I think that that's been a big benefit for me. Um, and as far as life in general goes, yeah, I, I hear you. I mean, I know that you've, you know, you've, it's been a big year for you, and it has for me too. I mean, you referenced it. Uh, I got laid off from a job that I had been at for 10 years at NBC Sports Bay Area just before Thanksgiving of 2017. So it's been just over a year uh, since I've not really worked in the sports TV industry where I had worked my entire 17-year career, um, and I was kind of done. And, you know, that's no secret to you. You and I had a lot of private conversations about how I wasn't very happy. And I knew I wasn't happy then in my job. Um, and I think I just tried to soldier through it the best I could. Uh, but, you know, this year has been good for me, too. It's been a lot of personal growth. Uh, I'm, I'm in a new industry, which I'm really enjoying a lot, the marketing industry. I'm learning a lot of new things. But to your point, it's been challenging for me, too. Uh, I'm the father of two young boys. That's a daily challenge. But the best part about not being in the sports yep. industry for me, uh, it's just been the times that I'm able to be with my family, honestly. Uh, you know, I was working so many late hours, working till not getting home till midnight or later, so many nights, uh, and unable to be with my kids. And then when I was with my kids, I was not fully present. You know, I was, it was a very stressful job that I had, uh, particularly when the Warriors and Giants were in the playoffs, which they were almost every year. Uh, and just being able to be at a home lot. and pick up my kids from school and, and go, go, cook them dinner and put them to bed and read them a bedtime story and do that every day um, has made me a much happier person. Um, and I'm just so thankful for that, honestly. I'm so, I think I've just become a happier person in general. Um, and yeah, that that's that. And, and this show is a big part of that because it's a great outlet for me to sort of still satiate my sports itch, which I don't think will ever go away. But not having to do it professionally every day has really been a huge weight off of my shoulders. So I'm thankful for that. And I'm, I'm happy to find out what's in store in, in 2019. In a, uh, yeah, I'm actually in a similar boat, but uh, a little bit different. I've, I've obviously gotten out of sports TV as well, but now in the sports radio industry. So I haven't left sports completely, um, but I have left the late nights and the weekend and the holiday shifts. I mean, we don't have, shows on those days and that's made a huge difference in my life just being able to have a, a regular routine uh friends family uh opening things up and and uh i can certainly identify uh with that that you that you speak of where just having that time to uh to connect with uh, the people you love makes a huge difference in your life and so i i can feel you there tremendous difference and and i i really am am trying to be purposeful in appreciating the opportunity that i have now Every day, because I, I missed it for so long. I knew I missed it when it was happening. And now that I sort of have it, you know, 
I'm really appreciative for it. So I'll, I'll just leave it at that. But great good of the week, 2018, man. And, you know, we got a couple weeks left, but uh, a good good of the week for you to be sure. Um, and, and in that vein, you know, we still have the holidays coming up. Uh, I feel like I've really been in the holiday spirit with two young kids. You know, our, our, our days and nights have been filled with holiday cheer and various events. Uh, it's really cool to see it through their eyes, too, you know, because it really is for the kids in the end. Uh, but I'm looking forward to Christmas for a variety of reasons, but I'll keep it from a sp uh, sports perspective. I always enjoy the full five slate of games on Christmas that the NBA offers, Ryan. I always yeah. think it's a lot of fun. Uh, I used to hate to work it, um, <laughs> you know, even if... if, the, if yeah, you and me both. We yeah, spent a lot of so Christmases together there. I'll be happy to not be at work on Christmas and get to watch LeBron play the Warriors for the first time in a Laker uniform at 5 o'clock Eastern. But I, I feel like the NBA does such a good job of picking these matchups. You know, it didn't... It, back in the day, they used to have, like, one game, and then it grew to two, then to three, and as, you know, corporations and big business in America goes now, you know, they just max it out in every way that they can, which I think is sad on some level. It's a lot of people that have to work and be away from their family, but it's a business, and everybody's getting paid, so I sort of get it, but just this year's slate is, is interesting to me. Uh, I'm looking forward to all the games on some level. I certainly won't watch all of the games, but I'll probably watch some of all the games. Uh, at 9 a.m. Pacific, you've got uh, the Greek Freak going into the Garden in New York, Bucks Knicks, followed by a really awesome matchup between the Thunder and the Rockets. It's always fun uh, when Russell and James go head-to-head. -head. Then you've got the Sixers and the Celtics, which before the season most would have thought would be a Eastern Conference final preview. Uh, obviously, the Raptors are the number one seed in the East right now, but I still think that's going to be an awesome matchup. Boston will be alive for that on Christmas Day. And then uh, the aforementioned Bron Bron coming back to Oracle um, to face the Warriors. It looks like the Warriors should be at full strength, so that'll be a lot of fun. And then the nightcap, uh, the Blazers and Jazz, which is you know should be a fun game too particularly at the point guard position uh, with Lillard. And uh, well, who's the second-year point guard for the Jazz, whose name I'm blanking on? Uh, the, the Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell. Mitchell. Thank you. Spider Mitchell. Yeah, so uh, Lillard versus Mitchell. But just a fun slate of games, and I always look forward to it. And just a, a fun little yeah. side thing. I'd say for the last 15 years or so, my dad and I always bet on all the NBA games on Christmas. $5 a game, alternating picks. And so that always is, all, is fun. Although he won't be with me this year. He's coming the day after Christmas. Uh, I'm sure there will be some fun texts flying back and forth on the $5 a game wager that we'll do. On Christmas, so that's my good of the week. NBA on Christmas, take it away. Yeah, I um, I'm a big fan of it, and I hear where you're coming from as far as in some ways it's a little bit sad that that many more people have to work, but at the same time, uh, this is kind of sports capitalism at its finest. You know, you, you basically, I think the NBA is really smart from a strategic standpoint to try to kind of brand this as their day. I mean, uh, Thanksgiving so clearly belongs to football. Mm -hmm. New Year's Day has always traditionally belonged to college football. Um, and 
while Thanksgiving, or excuse me, while Christmas has had NBA games for a little while now, the way they've really started to blow it out, um, they've kind of started to brand it as their sports holiday. Basically, they have the Christmas edition uniforms now for the teams yeah. that are playing, and they know they've got the captive audience. They have people who aren't at work, who are gathering with their family, who need something else to kind of uh, have a common bond over in some cases, and uh, I think it makes a lot of sense what they're doing, and certainly I didn't love working those Christmases, but uh, I get it. I get why they're doing it. I, I personally don't love the idea of actually attending a game on Christmas Day. I would much rather just have it on in the background, but I, I do certainly enjoy that, and I like the way that certain sports are tied to certain holidays, whether it's you know baseball and 4th of July or, um, like we said, football and, and Thanksgiving or, or New Year's. Um, I just I like when sports are tied to certain holidays and you just kind of have them on there. The other thing you say you and your dad always bet uh, tip that I'd kind of followed a couple years in a row now was uh, go for the under on Christmas Day early games because a lot of people are doing stuff with their families. They're up early with kids. I mean we we kind of forget these a lot of these athletes uh, have families and kids and they're and just like us on the holidays they're stretched thin and a lot of people want their attention and. Uh, so they often come out sluggish in those Christmas Day games and uh, have a hard time finding the rhythm early. So bet the unders on Christmas Day. Now that is news you can use right there. But that's a great point. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, one note, on you hit on something about attending the game. I totally agree with you. Although this year, I am intrigued by LeBron playing the Warriors and, you know, my son... My oldest son, mm-hmm. Kyle, is a big Warrior fan. He also really likes LeBron. And I was looking at tickets and, and maybe trying to surprise him with some tickets to the game on Christmas because it's at 5 o'clock. Ooh. You know, things will be winding down yeah, the, there. Yeah, that's nice. But it's the, like it's yeah, in the middle of your day. The, the tickets are so expensive. It's just ridiculous. I mean, it's like... I bet. Yeah, the cheapest yeah. ticket something like 250 bucks for a bad seat. So we'll be watching at home. Um, but that'll be good, and, I, and, <laughs> and it'll and, be great. Yeah, and I'm and I'm looking forward to it. But that's enough of that. Uh, what's your bad of the week? Uh, my bad of the week. Uh, we go to Charlotte, North Carolina, where the Carolina Panthers uh, collapse is complete. And this is a team, Michael, that started out six and two. They looked like they were rolling. Uh, in the, time, the beginning of the season, week one, when they uh, when the Saints faltered against the Bucks, and it looked like those teams might eat each other up, uh, Carolina's in the driver's seat for a little bit there, and they have now lost six straights. Their head coach may be out of job. We'll see what happens there. But Cam Newton is kind of just at the center of just all this badness that exists there, and yep. – I just don't really know what to make of it. Um, he's a phenomenal athlete, obviously he's MVP, but I think you can only count on him, you know, 90% of the time to kind of do the right things and say the right things as your franchise leader. And then on top of that, uh, I think he, he makes it difficult with the media, uh, the way that he's not combative, but kind of coy it seems like he has a little bit of a grudge against them. Uh, I'm not really sure what's behind that, but then you have the situation and everybody can see there's someone not right with him right now, but he helped his teammates and his coach in this terrible position, but not being forthright about it. And I understand that you don't want to give the other team information about being banged up, but he won't say anything about it, which then makes his coach look stupid. His coach can't say anything about it. And if you're hurt, man, get off the field. I know that you don't have many options there in Carolina, but 
the way he was been playing football the last month has been atrocious. Yeah. And they basically, because of the way the other teams in the conference, it was still there for the taking. Even after they lost four straight, they could have been in the driver's seat for the wild card and they couldn't beat teams like the Browns. And, it, you know, and I know the Browns are having a, a better season. Hugh Jackson is gone, but I, I'm just kind of amazed at this waste of talent, uh, especially when you've got a Christian McCaffrey there who, uh, by all accounts, is kind of having a, a, I don't know about his MVP caliber, but he's having an all-pro caliber season uh, at the running back position. And, you know, it, it doesn't seem like Cam really has uh, the weapons at receiver around him that maybe uh, he's had at times in the past. But he's just, he's kind of an enigma, and I, I can't figure him out exactly. I know, I know the Super Bowl a lot of people the wrong way the business decision he made by not diving on that fumble and and now he's out there it seems like he's risking uh you know his longevity even by by playing through this stuff if he does have a severe shoulder issue um but he's like trying to be tough but he also won't say what's going on let's put everyone in carolina especially on rivera in a really bad spot and uh, it's just been a, a really miserable tailspin yeah uh, well documented by you, it is a super interesting uh, situation, uh, particularly the Cam Newton part. Um, you know, tr- truth be told, I am not a Cam Newton fan at all. Um, I generally refer to him as Scam Newton, uh, going back to his whole college days mm-hmm. where he got kicked out of the University of Florida for stealing computers. Then, you know, the rumors were that his dad basically had a bidding war between Mississippi State and Auburn. Auburn paid him the most money, so he ended up transferring to Auburn, where he promptly had one of the best seasons. Bag man. Yeah, the bag man and all that. And then, you know, he was going to get suspended from Auburn, and then the NCAA let him skate because they were in the middle of an undefeated season. Then Alabama has him down 24 nothing at home, and he engineers one of the best comebacks in the history of the Iron Bowl. He ends up winning the Heisman Trophy and winning the national championship. He had... One of the best seasons that a quarterback's ever had in the history of college football. Um, but he was always very arrogant throughout, and that sort has sort of continued. I mean, he's really one yeah. of the most en- enigmatic players in the NFL, if not in all of professional sports. I don't think anybody really has a real beat on him as a person. It always seems like something's going on with Cam, whether it's on the field or off the field or injury-related or... Uh, teammate related or coach related it's always something with him um when he's right he's yeah, among the best players in the issue league. last year too i mean the media stuff too yeah i mean the the you mentioned the stuff after the super bowl um and it seems like it goes on it's like it, it's got it, it got to the point a while ago where i basically quit paying attention to what cam said and did away from the field and just try to focus on the field and i think uh, you made you made the point. Clearly, his right shoulder's not right at all. Uh, you could see it very clearly. But the you know the fact that he's still out there, uh, you know I don't know what's going on. I don't think anybody knows what's going on. It's, he's going to probably get his head coach fired, which might be what he wants. Um, so <clears throat> I don't know what's going on. But when he's right, he's an MVP type player. He's one of the best players in the in the league. But he's just unreliable. You know, he just seems unreliable. Uh, even when he's healthy, it also seems like, you know, there was that weird trade they made last year where they traded away Kelvin Benjamin, his best receiver. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, and then they had, there was that video of them on the field before a game this year where they almost came to blows. So it always just seems like 
He's just combative yep. with kind of everybody. Doesn't seem like anyone really mm-hmm. likes him. I mean, you rarely see people really rushing to his defense on any issue. Um, yeah. He's not, he's not very likable, Ryan, to me. But I'm biased as an Alabama fan. Seems like fan. people kind of tolerate him because of how good he is. Yeah, I guess. But, you know, as the a quarterback in the NFL is one of the most just clear-cut leaders of in all of team sports in this country and you can't just act like a like a spoiled child all the time and expect to be an effective leader and I think that that's part of it too it's like you can't just be a part-time halfway in leader when you make all that money and you're the quarterback of an NFL team and the whole team sort of relying on you to win games, you know, and you, you just can't have this sort of bad attitude and always be causing trouble, kind of always be poking the bear, so to speak. And I don't know. I just, I wouldn't want him leading my team. So I'm happy that I'm not a Panthers fan. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think it's, uh, it's a tough spot to be in because of the fact that he's such a talent, but, uh, you don't really have a lot of trust that that he can lead a team in the way that you you wish someone with his talent could and would. Yeah, his his p- talent and and his salary cap hit as well. Uh, let, let let's not forget about that because it's a big yeah. one. Um, <laughs> okay, good. I'm glad we got to pile on scam here a little bit on this final show of 2018. I'm always happy. Yeah, you mentioned his national championship. I was in attendance for said national championship that ripped the heart out of my Oregon Ducks. So I, I also not a fan of scam. No, no. Buck and Sack show not a fan of scam officially. Um, okay, uh, my bad of the week is is a really interesting topic. We we hit on it a little bit. Uh, I think it was two weeks ago, and it's basically this whole idea that the college football playoff is now looking like it might expand from four to eight teams possibly as early as next season, which I didn't think was possible, but it's now looking like it's got a lot of momentum. And most of that momentum is being led by the Pac-10, uh, I'm sorry, Pac-10, yeah, I said Pac-10, Pac Big Ten Commissioner. Big Ten. Yeah, Big Ten Commissioner, <clears throat> your boy, Jim Delaney. And the bad of the week is not so much for me that they're thinking of expanding to eight. I'm okay with that if they do a few things, but it's just sort of the way it's happening. It's just basically the commissioners of the leagues that have been jilted a couple of times now all of a sudden say they want eight teams where, you know, every comment they've made publicly before it was like, oh no, we would never we would never go to four. We would never uh, we would never go to eight. Four is the perfect number. But then before that, it was like we could never have a playoff. The BCS is the perfect system. So they're always wanting they're always changing their tune based on what fits their constituency the most that week. And I just think that it's so disingenuous. I think it's just such such crap that you know Jim Delaney now, who the Big Ten has been left out of the playoff two straight years on merit. I think that most non-biased football fans feel that Ohio State should have been left out both years, but now that they have been left out these last two years, all of a sudden we need eight teams. So give me a break. You know, it's like what, you know, that you're willing to change with the wind blows as long as it's good for you. That's my bad of the week. Now we can get into debating the merits of an eight-team playoff here down the line, but I just think it's just complete crap that the commissioners of these conferences who last year, you know, even during the season this year, 
said no way to an eight-team playoff. Now all of a sudden, you know, their their school athletic directors and their fan base is pissed off. So now all of a sudden we have to have an eight-team playoff. That's my bad of the week. The disingenuous crap coming from certain commissioners' offices in college football. Well, we obviously uh, documented uh, just a week or two ago uh, Larry Scott and the, uh, yeah. the damning piece that came out about him, uh, kind of a four-part hit piece from uh, John Canzano, Oregonian. But, uh, yeah, I mean, pretty much all of, all of these commissioners do uh, are acts that are self-serving. And, uh, you know, there's obviously there's so much money tied to this that they are seeing themselves not get a piece of the pie. And... That's not okay with them. It's always going to come down to the almighty buck, and um, it's no different with this situation. Now, that being said, um, I don't think there's any harm in – I say harm. I would like to see an 18 playoff, not because I think we need it, but just because I think it's better. I mean, yeah. if – if you know, I, I, I understand that maybe we don't think number eight is as worthy of being in a playoff to contend for the title – as number one, but then why do we have wild cards in the NFL or in, in baseball or, uh, or or other sports? And I mean, I do think for the most part, you know, the NBA is the one league where I say you could probably shrink down the playoffs. But anytime the playoffs have expanded, you look at Major League Baseball, you look at the NFL. That's been ultimately better for the sport. It's been an extra weekend for fans to get invested in. Um, it's been, uh, you know, it's another weekend of drama for for us, the fans. And I think that. Uh, it rewards the teams that peak at the right time. So I, I, I'm all for it. Yeah, no, I'm, I but think I agree with you on the, uh, I agree with you though, on the, on the, uh, on the commissioners and the ADs and basically uh, the, uh, the slime balls trying to get their, uh, their piece of the pie. Yeah. And another part of it is a lot of this is an anti sec thing. You know, people are pissed that they got two teams in last year. They almost got two teams in this year. I mean, the committee basically came out and said by putting Georgia fifth, that they were darn near close to putting them fourth, even though they lost to Alabama in the sec championship game. And then people are also pissed, you know, that LSU's in the Fiesta bowl and that Florida's in whatever game they're in. I don't even know what game they're in playing Michigan. So people are pissed off that the SEC is getting favoritism. But, you know, again, I think that most unbiased football fans would agree that the SEC has pretty much earned all of the stuff that it's getting. Now, I don't, and, and if you open it to eight, you're going to have at least two SEC teams almost every year. And on some years, you're going to ha- probably have a third. So, you know, if you're doing this to sort of fix this SEC bias, quote-unquote, you're just going to make it worse, honestly. So people need to be careful of that. No, now, that's not going to happen. I mean, I totally agree with you. What you're going to get is both teams from the SEC championship game or whatever one lost team missed the SEC championship game. I mean, I think that really it ends up rewarding the SEC, and that's fine because they're playing the best football year in and year out. And, and I think that if you, so you, if you essentially get your, the, the winner of each Power Five conference plus the biggest mid-major uh, you know, undefeated, whether that's a UCF or something like that, and then a pair of wild cards, uh, you could easily see the SEC filling both of those spots. Yeah, okay, so let, let's talk a little bit about this. What's the best way to do it? Because I guess there's kind of two main roads to go down if you start doing eight. Do you keep things as they are now with the conference championships and basically do what you just said? Uh, the five the five conference champions get an automatic berth. Then you take the best 
from you know the best mid major. It would be UCF this year. Best uh, non power five. Yeah. yeah, best of the non power fives, and then two wild cards. Do you do that, or do you do away with the conference championship games? What's your idea on not I'm what they're gonna do, but what would be best? Um, yeah, I think that the conference championship games need to either be all structured the same way or they need to go away. I don't like um, that they're not all the same. Like, for example, that in the Big 12 there aren't divisions and it's just the top two teams that play each other, whereas the other schools play based on divisions. And then often I feel like the divisions themselves are imbalanced. So yeah. I actually kind of like the Big, the Big 12's model where you just take the top two teams and let them play each other. And if they're from the same division or this from the same region, oh, well, uh, I wouldn't be opposed to seeing each conference go to that model uh, to decide it. But, you know, I, I, as long as it's fair across the board, or not, I shouldn't say fair across the board, I think you need to strive to get similar or equal across yeah. uniform, the board. And, uh, Uniformity. Whichever way that is, whether that's in, uniform, yes, yeah. yes. That, that's the word I'm searching for, but... Uh, as long as you do that, um, to me, it doesn't matter as much whether you do the conference championship game. Now, I like it in the event that you, you, you have two schools that missed each other during the regular season. Let's say, for argument's sake, USC and Oregon don't play in the regular season and they each are going to win their division. That's a game I want to see, but is it a game that's crucial to deciding the playoff? I'm not sure that it is. Yeah, but I do think that by having those those conference championship games, that almost effectively expands your champion your college football playoff to sixteen, really, because your conference championship then is a de facto playing game for the playoff. Sure, um, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. They need to have uniformity among the conferences. Uh, in all the ways you mentioned, plus there's another thing, and and people who sort of uh, look down on the SEC point to this, and I think that this is a fair point. The SEC teams are only playing eight conference games, and the Pac-12 and the Big Ten are playing nine conference games, plus they're not playing any FCS opponents. And in the Power Five, I think only the ACC and the SEC are still playing FCS opponents. So that's not fair. You know, mm -hmm. I'm an SEC guy all the way. I think it's the best conference year in and year out pretty much every year, um, but it's not fair. And the SEC needs to stop doing this. They need to stop playing the FCS schools, and they need to play nine conference games. I think that that's a very fair complaint. But see, the thing is, Ryan, and you and I both know this, they're not going to do this. They're not going to get on the same page. They're not going to do what's right. They're going to each do what's best for them. And what's best for the SEC yep, is, is to do what they've been doing. Keep it the same. Yeah, and they they're going to keep no doing that until somebody steps in and forces them to do otherwise. And right now, that's just not going to happen. And, you know, as far as, you know, playing, getting rid of the I divisions. I think it's more likely, Michael, that the other conferences <laughs> drop a conference game yeah. And add a, add a second bye week than it is, um, or an FCS school if uh, there if that's another way to sell some tickets uh, on a on a, a you know weird day in November. But yeah, I, I think that it's more likely that the other conferences try to drop it and be like the SEC than it is the SEC gets forced to add a nice game and doing away with the FC, FCS opponent. Yeah, and but yeah, I agree. Uh, the the one reason one way that may not happen is the main reason they did what they did 
was to help their attendance. You know, the Pac-12, I think, was the leader on this. They had too many crappy games that fans weren't showing up to. We've, the, we've talked ad nauseum about how the Pac-12 doesn't have great fan attendance. So if they add, if they take away sort of a, a fun game and add a crappy game, that's going to hurt them at the box office. So I, they may not do that. We'll, we'll, we'll just have to wait and see. The SEC hasn't done it because they haven't had to because of their great attendance. They'll still get 80,000 people to see South Carolina play the Citadel. When that stops happening, that's what would force the SEC to stop scheduling these SES yeah. games. That, or if they can sort of have some sort of governing body. That's what they need here. They need a governing body, like a professional league, you know, where you have a commissioner, and you've got a group of people that sort of sets rules for everybody. And that's what we're talking about, and that's what they're missing. But I don't really see that happening anytime soon. But that that's really what they no. need. Uh, what I think is going to happen here... That's uh, way this, too logical. Yeah, I think they're going to do what you said. I think that they're going to say, you know, the five conference champions go, we'll pick two wild cards, and then we're going to let, you, you know, the UCF team this year and, and last year into the playoff as well. And they're going to play the first, uh, the quarterfinal games on campus sites, which will be fun. But the thing that yeah. nobody seems to be talking about there is, is most of those students are not going to be in school at, when those games happen. So that's going to be a hard ticket to sell on some level. Uh, and that, that's going to be a mess that nobody's yeah, really talking about. Yeah, I don't about. know. I think it depends because it's still – because they're going to be the only four college football playoff games on campus and it's too advanced, I think that's like getting a ticket to like game seven of, uh, you know, of an NBA series or, or an MLB series or something. And I feel like even without students, that is a hot, hot thing, especially around the holidays when a lot of people are off. Yeah. You, you're probably right, especially at first, you know, the first couple of years when it's still really special. Uh, yeah, we'll, there, there'll be a novelty if you do it that way. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right. Well, I hope that happens. I I, I welcome the 18 playoff, uh, but just to cap this off, I do not welcome the disingenuous crap coming from the mouth, the mouths of, of these politician-esque uh, conference commissioners and 80s. It's just, it's ridiculous on every level. So that's my bad of the week. We went long on you. that one. Uh, what's your interesting of the week? My interesting of the week is, uh, is a little bit, uh, I don't want to say scatterbrained, let's say broad strokes here, but it has to do with kind of the hirings and firings in the NFL and the way in which certain franchises operate against others and which ones show certain degrees of loyalty and to whom and for, for what reasons. Um, and, and then I'm just fascinated by kind of all the front office dynamics and the, and the way things work. And I, I think what we're really thinking about that this week, um, was the Denver Broncos and, uh, Vince Joseph, man, is just in over his head and he, he has made some really bad game management decisions that have cost the Broncos games and potentially a playoff spot. Uh, I mean, they're out of the playoffs now, but it's hard to say whether they would have still been able to get there, but, uh, he really hasn't done a great job, and it's now come out today uh, that going back to last year, John Elway has been trying to convince Mike Shanahan to come back and coach the Broncos. And I, I just have so many thoughts on, on, on all these things. It's like, for one, 
I feel like, you know, obviously Joseph has to go. He, he really mi- he did mismanage uh, the team out of some wins, and you just can't have that in the NFL. The other thing that just amazes me how, how many coaches still mess up things like when to take your timeout around the two-minute warning and, and how to best manage the clock at the end of the game and when you need to be going for the field goal versus better going for it on, on fourth and one inside your opponent's territory you know, the, the kind of resistance to embrace some of the uh, the things that we are now logical because of what statistics tell us. And I'm not talking about the extreme statistical stuff, but just basic stuff. Like, it behooves you to go for it on fourth and one on your opponent's 37. Yeah. You should do that every time, you know, um, especially when you're, you know, your punter half the time is going to end up with a touchback and you've only netted 17 yards of field position. Um, but Beyond that, I just you think about John Elway pining for Mike Shanahan, and like it just makes me scratch my head on so many levels. There's it's such a retread league still. I mean, we are starting to see the evolution of kind of the offensive guru coach and uh, people from the Andy Reid trees like uh, Matt Nagy stepping up and doing his thing. Of course, you've got uh, Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan, a couple of young hot shots in the NFC West doing their thing. And so you can feel the league going that way in a sense. But then on the other hand, the fact that guys like Mike Shanahan are still getting a look and that Marvin Lewis is still coaching the Cincinnati Bengals and that Hugh Jackson may be just one, one step away from getting another job coaching the Cincinnati Bengals. And Dirk Cutter has had, had his time with the, the Jaguars and now the Bucks, And you, you see some of these coaches, you're like, I don't see where the heads are at from these front offices and these general managers. And I guess I'm just fascinated by one, the Broncos situation specifically, but it makes me think about really how unfair the playing field can be. If you have a GM who can, who can kind of outmaneuver the other GMs and we're starting to see that in some senses. Yeah, it is a really interesting topic on so many levels. I mean, the the thing that you hit on there at the very end is I think the most interesting part to me. Just how, and we talked about it last week with the Oakland Pro teams, just about how a great leader at the very top of the organization, that being the owner, how a great owner can make such a difference. And that's why Mm -hmm. you see certain organizations, uh, not just in the NFL, in all sports, just have success almost all the time. You You know, the Patriots certainly come to mind, uh, you know, in baseball, it seems like the Yankees are always pretty darn good. Um, you know, the Dodgers are always mm-hmm. pretty are always pretty good. The Warriors, you know, not now, but when the Warriors got a new ownership group, they've been the best best team in the sport ever since. Um, you know, and Greg Greg Popovich with and the they've Spurs. They've been the class of the NBA from a business standpoint too. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 then on the other side of the coin, it's just like you know, some organizations just it doesn't matter what what moves you make as long as the owner's bad. The team is always going to just sort of be poorly run. And, and, you know, we all know who those teams are as well. Uh, And it is really interesting. And it's also interesting from the perspective of what you, you know, the point that you were making about how some some GMs and some owners just want to go out and just hire the same retread coaches. And then others now are going the complete other direction to where you're hearing, you know, did you see that they're talking about Cliff Kingsbury might become an NFL head coach? Like he... He just got fired yeah. from being the head coach of he, Texas he, he, Tech. He couldn't. 
Yeah, no, yeah, go, they get go a sub five hundred record in the Big Twelve. Yeah, so they're going to hire Cliff Kingsbury. I mean, he was just uh, named the offensive coordinator at USC, and now some NFL team, I guess, might buy him out and make him their head coach. Like, I can see an NFL team potentially wanting him to be their offensive coordinator, but, like, the leader of men? I mean, that's the thing about the NFL and really any of these pro organizations is, at the end of the day, you know, there is an X and O's component to it. Certainly in the NFL there is, but you're also sort of leading men, like men who are out there, you know, trying to feed their families. And I just don't see somebody like Cliff Kingsbury being able to do that. Now, I don't, I don't know Cliff Kingsbury, I could be completely wrong. That's just the impression that I get. But, you know, I don't know. Would you rather have Cliff Kingsbury be your head coach or Mike Shanahan? So, I mean, that that's a tough call right there. So, you know, I, I tend to, to side with the, uh, the school of thought to try something new. I mean, I would rather you hire an unknown 33-year-old who, who really has his X's and O's down, is really a hard worker, and has the respect of some of the younger players that I would rather you hire, I don't know, somebody like Marvin Lewis or, or John Fox or, or somebody like that, you know, that has been pretty failing as a head coach yeah, two or three right. times. Uh, take a shot on somebody well, new. So, and then what you see happen, yeah, what you see happen then, though, is that teams will go after that young guy like – um you saw the Bucks; they went with Raheem Morris, and that didn't work out. And then they default back to the retread guy in Dirk Cutter. Right. Um, you saw the same thing in uh, in Denver, basically with uh, going with uh, Josh McDaniels. That didn't work out there. I mean, I wouldn't Vance Joseph not a retread, but Gary Kubiak was after Josh McDaniel. Yeah. Um, and and so I think that when a, a GM or an ownership group gets burned by it once, then they they kind of go back to what they know. Uh, so you, it's almost like you have to have a good first experience branching out to, to continue down that path. Yeah, I mean, it, it's so much like politics, too, just the sort of the pendulum swinging back and forth. It's like, oh, you know, we mm-hmm. want somebody who's fiscally conservative. Oh, the economy is not quite where we want. Let's go with somebody fiscally more liberal. Oh, we don't like that. And, you know, it just kind of goes back and forth. It's a lot like that in sort of these middle-of-the-road to bad organizations. They're just sort of throwing stuff up against the wall and hoping it sticks one of these one of these days. And more times than not, it doesn't. So, you know, bad organizations are going to be bad organizations almost all the time. And usually you can trace it to the man at the top, the guy who's cutting the checks, and that's the owner. So that that's just sort of how it tends to go in pro sports, you know, for better or for worse. It's just how it goes. Um, but it is really interesting. Uh, so great interesting of the week. I hope that my uh, interesting of the week is interesting for everybody out there as well. Um, you know, I was looking at online at some stories and uh, earlier this week, or it may be in, at the end of last week, the Sports Business Journal, a uh, very respected publication in the sports world, uh, came out with their annual list of most influential people in sports. And at the top of the list was basically sports betters. Uh, they named number one. And I found that interesting on a number of levels. I mean, obviously, we talk gambling on this show every week. We're both in into gambling on, on varying degrees of interest. Um, I think we're both extremely interested in the Supreme Court decision that came down earlier this year uh, over the summer, basically saying that it was unconstitutional to out to, to, to tell states what they could do on a state-to-state basis as it pertains to, to 
paramutual sports betting. Uh, so it was a landmark ruling. We've talked about it a lot. But I just think it's funny. and Not not funny. It's, it's interesting now to see where we're at on this landscape. And I think the thing that sticks out the most to me, Ryan, is sort of what I was talking about with the 18 playoff. And it's just the disingenuine, the disingenuine nature of kind of people who lead organizations tend to be. Uh, you know, the NFL, Major League Baseball, and the NBA, and the NHL forever has tried to distance themselves from from betting. You know, talking about you know how they they don't want to be any part want they don't want to have anything to do with it. They want no part of it. You know, the the television stations have sort of who are those leagues partners have followed suit all the way. You know, not really wanting to talk about uh, gambling for years and years and years and years and years. And now all of a sudden. Now that it's legal in certain states, all the leagues and all the television networks are all in on this because they realize how much money is to be made. They just did a a public-facing 180 on this. And I just find that to be so typical. And, you know, it it bothers me on some level. It certainly doesn't surprise me. But I just think it's interesting where we're at as a society, Ryan. And I think it's very analogous to the what we're seeing across America with the cannabis rulings now, uh, you know, where cannabis is becoming legal in a bunch of different states and all the all the different businesses and people who before, you know, wanted nothing to do with cannabis and, you know, drugs are bad and this, that, and the other. And now they see the tax revenue that the states are making where it is legal and all of a sudden everybody wants on board. Cannabis is great. You know, it's all of a sudden it's good for you, this, that, and the other. And, you know... The whole thing is just so typical of people who are in the public eye, who have a lot of money and power. They're always going to go where the money is, no matter what. The, the morals mean nothing. Whatever they say means nothing. You know, everything basically is a lie. And, you know, I guess that's my take on it. Uh, what, what's your take on it? It's funny. You stole the thoughts right out of your out of my head when – uh, you then made the uh, the marijuana or the cannabis uh, corollary there because uh, I, I think it is, it is really similar in that. Uh, and the thing that kind of connects them for me, I'm not sure you, you quite uh, you know directly landed on, but but kind of talked around a little bit was is that like I feel like there's all there's a holier than thou element uh, to the way um, a lot of those people those high positions turn their nose up at. Uh, and, and both of those things and being, we talk about formatting, uh, they talk, use words like integrity and honor and, uh, and you know, the, the integrity of the game and things like that. And, of, of course, once it's ruled to be legal, those words aren't getting thrown around anymore. anymore. And, and same thing um, with, you know, with cannabis or with marijuana. It was kind of, uh, you know, seemed you know illicit and uh and like bad news and, and things that uh it, it kind of all well, not salacious but the, I, I can't find the exact word but essentially negatively uh carried a negative connotation until someone could make money on it then whoa it's not so bad anymore and uh and it's that it's that uh kind of change in uh perceived morals that i think the most frustrating part about it yeah, I mean, I just have a problem with people who are full of shit. I mean, I, I don't know how else to say it other than that. It just bothers me when people lie to your face. 
and try and try to treat the public as if they're stupid. You know, that, that just really does bother me. And then the second that they're able to show their true colors, they do. And then they act like, you know, nothing really even happened, as if everybody doesn't even remember it. So, so I have a problem with that. But let, let, let's get away from, from that discussion, because, you know, I don't think we're really plowing too much more new ground here. The, the sports betting landscape is really interesting. I think you're going to see a ton of changes starting in 2019. You know, we've already got legalized betting in, I think, six or seven states. You know, people are betting on games now in Mississippi, in West Virginia, in New Jersey, just to name a few. And I think that sort of the tipping point for all of this is when they figure out how to let people sort of sit at home or sit in a sports bar and bet on all these games legally on their phone. Once they figure that out, uh, you know, to use a betting term, all bets are off. The, the floodgates are going to be open, and I think we're going to start to see just sort of the culture of sports betting in America change a lot. Um, you know, I, and as much as I like all of this, and I think it's fun and exciting, and really the way it should be, I mean, there's no reason to keep something illegal that A, can generate a bunch of revenue that maybe somebody could use for some good, although that's probably wishful thinking. But, you know, people are betting illegally anyway. Why penalize some people for doing it? But I do think that you get to a certain point where, you know, betting isn't all good all the time. If you can't control yourself and it's just readily available uh, on your phone, I think it's going to become a big problem for a lot of people, Ryan. I really do. I think it already is. I think that, you know, sort of gambling addiction is sort of one of those addictions that nobody really wants to sort of uh, legitimize or talk about. And I think that it's going to really become a big problem. And it's not necessarily the government's job to sort of police people on that. At the end of the day, you know, I think that pretty much everything should be legal. And then it's up to the individual to sort of figure out for themselves what their threshold is for, you know, any vice, really. And it's really on you. But I do worry, Ryan. I honestly do worry about you know this sort of widespread gambling that we're going to start to see across America, and it's coming, uh, and it's coming fast. And I think it's going to become a big problem for a lot of people. And there, that part of it does bother me, and it does worry me. Yeah, I think um, I do think you're onto something there, especially in, in the realm of. Um, the access to it and that becoming easy. And, and, and I think that uh, we're on the eve of that day. And actually, I saw something specific to that today. Uh, there's a sports app called The Score. I don't know if you use it. I don't, but I'm, I'm familiar with it. Um, but they are essentially setting up a – they're setting up gambling through their app, uh, both pre and I think live. I, I have to double-check the facts on that. But they're setting it up through Monmouth Park in New Jersey, um, which is already equipped for sports betting. So it's like it's legal. And basically, you're going online and betting on this stuff through New Jersey on whatever you want. So I don't think it's up and running yet. But um, we're about to have it in app form, I think, from anywhere. Um, and it is uh, the access to it, I think, is what is make, makes it potentially dangerous. And um, just like anything, I mean... Um, when it comes to drugs, if they're easier to get, they're more, they're, they're more readily available. You're more, you're more likely to do them or use them. I think, I I do think people should police be expected to police themselves and completely with you there. But I think having to go to a ticket window and actually have a physical transaction where you give over cash, 
to a, a cashier and you get a ticket in return for a that is a gambling slip is much different than being able to literally twiddle, twiddle your thumbs and put a hundred bucks or a thousand bucks or five thousand bucks on a game. Um, and and that's what we're talking about here. And I think that the phone being an extension of us now and the kind of the all the ultimate uh, device for convenience, it uh, it makes that a much more slippery slope. Yeah. Agreed with all of that. And, and th- there's another component to it. It's not just the phone, but you, you mentioned it briefly there. It's the live betting. The live betting is where all of this is going. It's not going to be anymore where, you know, it's not going to be anymore how we talk about, you know, when we go in the book and we like the Steelers getting five points against uh, the Saints this weekend. You know, that's just one bet, but they're going to make it so you can make bets all the time on all the sports. It's going to be pitch by pitch in baseball. It's going to be possession by possession in basketball. It's going to be this player versus this player in the NBA. It's going to be, you know, over under yards uh, that Cam Newton throws for in a game. And that's going to be changing all throughout the game. So you're going to be able to be constantly making Mm -hmm. bets on everything that's happening in the game. And it's going to be completely automated with all these algorithms. And like you said, there's going to be no people. You know, you can do this without talking to or giving money to anybody. It's just going to be right there on your phone, the same as you order, you know, anything that you order from Amazon now. You know, that's why Amazon is as successful as they are, you know, for all those those sort of same ease of transaction reasons. And I just think that it's going to be very harmful for a lot of people. And ultimately, it's going to be up to you to sort of police yourself. But a lot of people aren't that strong, Ryan, and and particularly, you know, when there's alcohol involved and and all the rest of it. So I I just think that we're going to get to a place in our sports betting society where it's going to get dark. I'm, you know, not to be Pollyannish about this, but I really see that happening uh, sooner rather than later, but if you can stay out of that those weeds, it will be a lot of fun. Um, if if you can keep it fun and keep it from you know ruining your life, so uh, that that's enough on that. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, that, that that's enough on that. Um, let's move. On that note, let's talk some about some betting on some football games, shall we? Uh, as we go in the book, but again, yeah, you want to go college or pro? Let's do college first. But again. I think there's a difference between you and I talking about it and you and I texting each other during a game and saying, hey, you want to bet $5 on this game. There's a big difference between that and being able to bet play-by-play on every game and every sport. So I'll just leave it at that. Uh, let's well, do- and I think the other thing, too, is when, you have, when, you know, when you're at a, uh, a craps table or a blackjack table or a roulette table and you've lost a couple hands, and you try to up your bet to get it back, I think that live betting is going to be dangerous too. I think that uh, when you see, like let's say you take uh, the Chargers minus four and a half this weekend against the Ravens, and the Ravens go seven nothing, and that line for the Chargers moves to minus one and a half, and the Ravens score again, they're up ten nothing. You still think the Chargers are going to win the game, and now they're plus three and a half. Yep. Um, you know, I think people are going to chase their bad bets as well. Hundred percent, and it's just you know the old adage: the more bets you make in the long run, the more you're going to lose. Uh, it, it's just as simple as yeah. that. Um, so let's go in the book. Let's do uh, let's do the bowls first, since this is our last show of 2018. Let's talk some bowls. I've got a bunch of bunch of them that I do sort of like, but give me yours first. 
Yeah, um, I have. So I haven't really looked um, super closely at the Bulls from a spread perspective until today. Um, and I think some of them are still hard to call. No because doubt. of the fact that we don't know who's going to play and who's not. Uh, but anyway, so um, I think for one, um, I actually don't like the chances for uh, my team, the Oregon Ducks. I think that uh, they've had a lot of efforts focused on recruiting, and that's actually a great thing. They landed the uh, number one overall recruit in the country. Yes, they did. Uh, up against the likes of Alabama and others over the weekend. Congratulations on that. So that's that, that was great. Awesome I also think that they've been. Thank you. That was uh, it. Was very big for us. Um, never in our history have we ever gotten the top guy uh, like that. So, but I, my point is, I think there's been a lot of effort and, and focus on the recruiting. I'm not saying that they're ignoring the game, uh, but the offense kind of got one dimensional towards the end of the season, and that one dimension is a dimension that Michigan State's pretty good at stopping, and that's the uh, the run uh, between the tackles. And so, uh, I actually I like Michigan State. Um, in that red box bowl on uh, on New Year's Eve day. So um, moving on, I, I think um, Washington is, uh, while their defense is great, Urban Meyer's last hurrah with Ohio State, uh, I'm going to Ohio State and lay the points there. That's six and a half. I think that uh, Washington just does not have enough uh, explosive plays in their offense um, to, to hang with what Ohio State's able to do. You saw Ohio State just thrash Michigan. Uh, there's there's no reason in Urban's last game um, they, they couldn't do something similar here. Um, I also like Central Florida. Uh, I think that they can even win that game outright. I just think they have more to prove than LSU does. Obviously, Central Florida beat Auburn last year. Uh, and the, I think Central Florida can win that game outright. In, I looked at their seven points there. Um, and then, and finally, uh, both of your semifinals, I think there are too many points on the board there. I think that uh, Oklahoma, I like getting 14. And with uh, Notre Dame, I like getting 13. And I could certainly see Alabama and Clemson covering, but uh, I like at least one of the underdogs to cover. I just think that a lot of the times after those layups, um, some of the teams come out a little bit tight, a little bit rusty. I think that um, – often the first quarter kind of feels like a wash or uh, at least one team sputters a little bit that keeps the scoring low. So uh, I, I like taking a big underdog in that spot, and I would I would lean both big underdogs in the semifinals. Uh, okay, yeah, let's talk about the semifinals. I, I pretty much agree with you. Um, I always think that Alabama is going to ha- be in for a really tough game. I don't think this game is any different. Uh, I think it should be a tough game. Now, the X factor to me a little bit is Hollywood Brown's uh, status. He may not play, and if he does, he may not Mm -hmm. be 100%. They need him at full strength. Um, I think that... I, th- I think that somehow it's gotten a little bit overlooked just how good Alabama's offense was this year. They were a top two offense in the in college football right there with Oklahoma the whole way, and I think they played a much tougher defensive schedule than did the Sooners. I think Alabama is going to be locked in and ready to roll, particularly, you know, as I talked about, after Tua feels and the whole team feels like Tua was robbed of the Heisman by the guy that they're facing across the field. I think that Alabama is going to come out and play an absolutely great game. And as much as I do think it's too many points on a normal day, but I think given you know Saban all this time off, given them time to heal, 
you know, given them feeling like they were slighted at the Heisman ceremony, which they're certainly going to use, I, I think I'd lay the points with Alabama. I think it's going to be close for a while, but I think hmm, eventually okay. Alabama's physicality and depth is going to wear down Oklahoma. And I think Alabama ends up winning by three touchdowns or something like that. So I would lay the points with Alabama. Okay. I, and I can certainly see that, yeah. Um, um, I, how about this? Riddle me this. How about the over-under of 80, Michael? What, what, do you think they get over that total? No, I think that's too much. I really do. Um, I didn't know it was that high. That seems crazy high to me. Yeah. Opened at 79.5. It's moved up to 80. It's at 80.5 in some places. Yeah, I would, I would pound the under on that game. I really would. Um, the other game, the, the game in Dallas. I like Notre Dame in this game. Um, I've thought about this game a lot. I think that Clemson is more talented, but I think that Notre Dame is a really good team. I really like their quarterback. I really I don't like Brian Kelly. He doesn't seem like a really great guy. I think he's a hell of a coach. I really do. <laughs> and I think that he's going to have them ready to go. Uh, they've obviously got a lot to prove, a lot to play for. Um, I think when you look at how Clemson played down the stretch and and also how Clemson played in their non-conference, you know, they struggled to win against Texas A&M. They gave up 500 yards of offense uh, to an SEC opponent in South Carolina. I think the ACC has been terrible. Uh, You know, the second best team in the ACC was Syracuse, if you can believe that, and Clemson almost lost at home to Syracuse. I just think that the Clemson schedule has been pretty bad. They struggled against some of the better teams that they've played for the most part, and I think Notre Dame's going to give them a hell of a game, and I will not be surprised at all if Notre Dame wins the game. I really won't. I I can totally see an upset coming uh, for the Irish in that game. Uh, so I guess uh, that's my sort of take on those two games. Uh, some other games I like. I actually think that there's quite a few games that I really like. Uh, and it's almost all underdogs. You know, uh, bowl season is weird. You never know who's going to play, who's not, who's going to be motivated, and who's not. It's hard for me to... Yeah, the motivation a, factor is the really weird part, yeah. Yeah, and it's impossible to, to predict. Uh, I was listening to... Uh, the Bear, Chris Felica, and Stanford Steve's first bowl podcast today, and they were, they, you know, they they were and I were on the same page with a lot of these games. Then they also said uh, Bear had an awesome stat. I don't know if you heard it, but he said in the last ten years, seventy five percent of the underdogs who have covered the spread in bowl games have also won the game outright, uh, which is a a really interesting number. So that 75% of underdogs who have covered also won the game outright. So that's that's just a, a staggering number. So here's some teams that I here's some underdogs in that vein that I like. I love Wisconsin, uh, plus three and a half playing Miami and Yankee Stadium. I like Purdue yeah. getting getting three and a half against Auburn. Uh, uh, Gus Malzahn has a has a terrible bowl record. And it's usually because they, they've had a disappointing season and he just doesn't get them motivated to play. And this is certainly a spot, the, a similar spot. Uh, in that same vein, I like Syracuse getting a point and a half. You know, now that Will Greer isn't going to play, that was a seven-point spread in favor of, of West Virginia. It's down to one and a half. I, I really think Syracuse is going to win the game outright. Uh, I like them getting a point and a half. Uh, I like Iowa yeah, State. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, I, I like Iowa State getting three and a half against Washington State in the Alamo Bowl. I like Florida. You know, getting... what? I missed Iowa State. That's a 
that's a good call. I think Washington State is Washington State is really supposed to be missing out on the Rose Bowl. After. Oh, they're pissed they, off. They, they feel they, like they, they, got they beat their rival. They they go to Pasadena. Yeah. And yeah, and uh, I think that Iowa State's plenty motivated. And Iowa State's pretty good. So uh, they are. I, I'm they're very good defensively. Um, in the same vein, I don't think Michigan's going to be super motivated to play after getting smoked by Ohio State. I like Florida playing in their home state, getting seven and a half there. Plus, I think a bunch of Michigan players are going to sit out. Uh, and then I also like Kentucky getting six against Penn State. Kentucky is going to be raring to go. Penn State's just sad that they had a disappointing season. I like Kentucky. The only favorite in all of this that I like is I like Texas A&M uh, laying six and a half against NC State. I think Jimbo's going to have them ready to play because, you know, they they had a pretty good season with him in the first year. They're recruiting well. I think, you know, they feel like they're building towards next year. So I think that they'll be excited to play NC State, and NC State really doesn't have much to play for. So that that's the one favorite I like. Uh, the rest of them are underdogs. So th- those are the games that I like in on the college bowl slate and honestly i like all of those underdogs a lot um if i had the score betting app i i would be tempted to bet on those (laughs) but i don't want to lose my family so i'm going to stay away from the score betting app and just you know (laughs) and and just play twenty dollar bowl pick'em pools and be happy with that so that's about where i'm at on on the score fair enough um, you like any uh, NFL games? The NFL is tough for me this week. I, I don't really love this card. Um, there are a lot of really close lines, and there are a lot of really good matchups, and there are a lot of really important matchups. No doubt. Um, you know, I, 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 I kind of want to take Philadelphia at home. They looked really good against the Rams. They did. Uh, Houston's going to Philly. It's gonna be it's gonna be cold. Um, but at the same time, Houston is now in that in that spot where they're getting a first round bye uh, if they maintain their position here uh, with the Patriots' loss last weekend. So uh, they've got something to play for too. I, I'm leading Philly there. Um, otherwise. I, I think the Rams do bounce back. I think they're going to smoke Arizona. I just think that they're – I don't know that they're broken like people say. I think that McVay and Goff are going to hear some of the chatter this week, and they're going to figure it out. So I know that's a big number with 13-and-a-half there, but Cardinals are done. Uh, they, have, they have nothing to play for, nothing to risk. Uh, speaking of the Cardinals, I just, a quick aside, I heard a stat today that Larry Fitzgerald has more career tackles in the NFL than he does dropped passes. Whoa, that, really? That in his statistical career, he's got 36 He's got thirty six tackles and just 29 drops on over 2,100 targets. I was, my mind was blown. That's incredible. I can't believe he has that many tackles. Yeah, I mean, I guess when you, I mean, he played with Carson Palmer for a while. He, <laughs> he chucked up a lot of picks. So did Kurt Warner in the later years. Yeah, so uh, I, I guess that's it. But um, anyway, yeah, but, and so additionally, I like the Niners getting four points at home. I do too. The Bears uh, just won the division. And at this point, I don't know. I don't think they have much to play for. I think it's a great spot for the Niners. And I don't think the Niners are necessarily playing for that draft pick. I think they're playing to prove something. Um, I think it's 
I don't know what to make of this Seattle-Kansas City game, um, but I, I want to lean Seattle. I just think they're they're good at home this time of year, and they're getting points at home, a home dog there. Uh, and the Chiefs have just been a little bit out of sorts and a little bit banged up. So uh, I, I'm a Seattle lean on that. What do you like this week? Yeah, um, I like some of the same games that you do. I like Philly minus two um, against Houston. That's a great game. I like the Niners getting four at home against the Bears. Um, I, I like the Steelers getting five and a half in New Orleans. Uh, the Steelers had a big win. They're right in this thing. Uh, the Saints are scuffling a little bit. I, I expect that to be a really good and a really close game. Uh, I also like Atlanta getting two and a half on the road at Carolina. Carolina, we talked about Carolina earlier. They're yeah, done. Carolina's done. They're done. Uh, Newton may not yeah, play. I mean, the, the Falcons are too, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the Panthers really don't have anything to play for now. They're, they're out of it. Uh, I just like the Falcons there. I do. Um, and I also like the Ravens. On, I mean, that's a really good game on Saturday night. Ravens at Chargers. Uh, I'm going to watch that for sure. Give me the Ravens plus four and a half. You know, honestly, Ryan, right now, I was thinking about this. These two teams, the Ravens and the Chargers, in my opinion, I would probably give the best chance of anybody to make the Super Bowl out of the AFC. I think they're the two most complete teams. I really haven't gotten to see Lamar Jackson play a lot. I'm looking forward to seeing him. His passing numbers are terrible. Uh, His rushing numbers are really good. But they have a really good defense. They uh, they have the second-ranked defense in the NFL behind only the Bears. So uh, I, I like what the Ravens are doing. And, ob- and obviously, how can you not like what the Chargers are doing? So, But I, I would take the yeah. Ravens plus four and a half. Um, yeah, so the, those are my five picks of the week um, in the NFL. So let's get to it here. Our last wild card of 2018. Try not to cry. Uh, what's your wild card? Uh, my wild card is uh, what are your uh, favorite holiday, uh, winter holiday traditions? So we've we've kind of plowed that ground with Thanksgiving before, but whether it's Christmas or New Year's uh, or something that you do either with the family or if you've done since you're a kid, uh, what's a tradition of yours that uh, that you enjoy year in and year out? Okay, yeah, good, good question. Um, I was going to go on a similar route with you, but luckily I have another one that I'm going to ask you that I think you'll like. So. Uh, you know, I don't know. I don't have an absolute favorite. I will say, I think this is now the fifth year in a row, um, that my parents will come out here for, not for Christmas, but they come out right after Christmas and then stay through the new year. And now I think this is the fifth year in a row they've done that. And each year we've gotten like an Airbnb up in wine country, you know, that me, my wife and and our two kids go, I guess ever since Kyle was born is, is what we've been doing it. And, you know, we've been really lucky, obviously as Alabama fans, this will be the fifth year that we get to see the tide play in the playoffs while, while we're all together. So that's become a, a really fun tradition for us. Uh, and certainly one that I, you know, I appreciate the opportunity to be with my whole family over the new year. I, I would say that now, you know, growing up, you know, it's interesting. I was going to ask you, you know, it's, it's one of those things like the whole Christmas morning routine of like how you open your presents or, or who comes over or what you cook for breakfast, or maybe you have a, don't do a breakfast, you do a big dinner. It's different in every family. It's one of those things you don't really know what it looks like in another family 
unless you sort of talk to somebody about it. Um, so I'll, I'll ask you, like, what are, I, I mean, I guess I'll, I'll make it more focused. Like, what is a, a Christmas morning or a Christmas day uh, in the Buckley household look like? I'd imagine it looks a little different now than it did when you were 12, but, you know, what, what's the sort of general look and feel of that for you guys? Yeah, the general look and feel of that now, whether it's, uh, whether we're at my mom's or my dad's, the uh, the general look and feel is basically get up and uh, and do presents with family first thing. Uh, everyone stays in their pajamas. Most people don't shower yet. Right. They just roll out of bed, huddle up around around the tree on the couches, get their coffee or their hot cocoa or their tea or whatever they want. Uh, get get a fire going and basically everyone start exchanging gifts kind of a one by one and not not really the free for all i mean obviously when we were kids you run out you see what santa left you that's a little bit more of a free for all um but no much more much more um or i wouldn't say organized but uh a little bit less chaotic uh than the earlier years now but uh yeah everyone's who they shop for and what they get them and uh and and all that and so we do that first, and then we usually have a uh, kind of a brunch time meal. And my mom makes a couple things um, that have kind of become Christmas favorites when I am at her house. And one of them, uh, she'll do either cinnamon rolls or sticky buns or monkey bread uh, in the bread machine. So it doesn't really matter which one. It's all just kind of different forms of the same bread, really. <laughs> but it's a doughy, um, syrupy, uh, just delicious, uh, maple-y uh, with some with some with some nuts on there too, like kind of like a sticky morning bun. Um, she's outstanding. She does the dough in her bread machine. Uh, then you know she coats it and it sits overnight, and she or comes out fresh. That's outstanding. And then she also does this thing called a strata, and it's like a it's almost like a breakfast casserole. And so uh, it is eggs and uh, and cut up pieces of sourdough that take on sourdough bread that take mm. on uh, some of the eggs, and you layer in cheese and meat. So. Uh, we, you know, you'll do like seasoned sausage or chorizo or something like that. You can put in mushrooms or jalapenos or whatever else you want and bake it. And it comes out like this uh, kind of souffle, fluffy breakfast casserole thing. And so my mom makes those two things Damn. pretty much every Christmas morning. And then we'll do that with, uh, with mimosas. And that is, that is kind of the Buckley morning tradition. And then the afternoon or evening is usually spent congregating with whatever family uh, relatives we're around. So, I have um, my, my aunt, uncle, and um, three of my four cousins uh, live in the Bay Area. So when I'm at my dad's in the Bay Area, we'll, we'll do the family thing in the morning, and then we'll, we'll get together with the cousins and aunt and uncle in the afternoon. Um, up here, it's uh, something similar, but with my mom's, um, my mom's boyfriend's side of the family, uh, his, his parents, his brother and sister. And then, uh, you know, if, it's, if we're with Kim, they're family and friends on uh, on that evening so kind of informal family stuff in the morning and uh still informal but uh, bigger gatherings of family in the afternoon and evening what about you yeah excellent breakdown uh it's different for me now that i live out here my whole family is back in virginia uh growing up it was similar to what you said you know check to see if santa came uh actually it would be stockings first in my parents bedroom then downstairs uh, presents around the tree uh, and then around 10, 30, 11, the, uh, the more extended family would come. My mom would be in charge of cooking a big brunch, uh, similar to you. Uh, cinnamon buns, same same deal, always. That was always a big thing. And just a great spread. Uh, smoked salmon, 
grits, bacon, eggs, you know, all that good stuff. Uh, that was pretty traditional. We always had, like, Santa hats with our names on them that I always sort of hated, but everybody else thought that was kind of funny mm-hmm. to wear. I'm not a big Santa hat guy, <laughs> Ryan. Uh, I'm just not. Never They're was. They're comfortable. They're Never itchy. was. Um, yeah, I just think it's ridiculous, honestly. Particularly for adults. I mean, nothing <laughs> nothing makes me laugh Easy, more. Scrooge. Yeah, you know, just you walk around now, it's like you see adults wearing Santa hats and they don't even have kids with them. It's like, what the hell is wrong with you? Seriously, like, what are you trying to pull here? You know, I mean, if, if, it, makes you, if it makes you happy, I'm all for it. More power to it. But it just... It's kind of weird. It's more like than how is that? Do you have an issue then with somebody wearing like a? What if someone's just wearing like a holiday sweater? Like That's they're, they're wearing like a Christmas tree on That's a sweater. Different. Is that different? I'm okay how? with. How? I mean, it's a little both different. Just being festive. A Santa hat, really? Like, come on, a Santa hat. I mean, I'm not saying I love it. I don't <coughs> do it. Ah. <laughs> Where, I, where, where does this compare for you with uh, grown adults who paint their faces for NFL games? Similarly. Or dress up. Very similarly. I mean, <laughs> cut, cut from the same cloth. But you know what? <laughs> Honestly, like I'm trying to become just more. We talked about it at the, at the, at the top of the show. I'm, I'm a new man in 2018. If, so, if something makes you happy and you're not hurting others, I'm all for it. More power to you. Seriously. But the Santa hat, adult Santa hat. Is, is, is pretty bad. But we, we, we got off track there. We got off track. Um, family tradition. So that would be it. You know, the family would come over. But, you know, the thing that always got me on Christmas, Ryan, it always seemed like by the time like 1, 2 o'clock in the afternoon rolled around, like we didn't really have a whole lot to do. You know, if you got like a, a new bike or something, if the weather wasn't too bad, you'd go out and ride it. But I always felt like Christmas mm-hmm. was kind of over a little too soon. I don't think we did a whole lot at night with the family, which I think was a mistake. It sounds like your Christmas nights are a lot more fun than mine. And even now uh, with the kids. Yeah, we would almost always get together for like gifts in the afternoon and then like an early dinner, like a five or a six o'clock dinner. And then, you know, everyone's home by eight or nine o'clock or whatever. But basically, you know, you make a full day out of it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's smart. I've always felt kind of bored in the afternoon and evening on Christmas night, which, you know, I guess is at this point. Yeah. Own, okay. Now what? Is, yeah. It's now my own fault uh, here. Like I said, my parents won't get here till the 26th. Uh, my wife's family lives in Mill Valley, but it's just her brother and her parents. She doesn't have any other extended family out here. So they're going to come over to my house for Christmas brunch. I'm doing all the cooking. Uh, I'm going to have, I think, nice. yeah, I think I did this for the first time last year and I really enjoyed it. And honestly, the reason I enjoyed it was it just gave me something else to do. You know, I'm not huge into the whole gift-giving thing. I mean, we've hit on that before. I just enjoy sort of being in the kitchen and not having to sort of pay as much attention to the gifts and, and the sort of BSing with with everybody. Um, but this year I'm excited for the meal. We're going to do like a build-your-own breakfast sandwich bar. So I think I'm going to have like biscuits and sourdough as, as an option on the bread and then have like eggs, bacon, sausage, and and cheese, maybe a few different cheeses to, to build your own uh, breakfast sandwich. I think we'll go with that. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. Nice. And, and, and probably do like some some home fries as well. So I think that's what our Christmas morning is going to look like. But obviously, 
it's all about my two boys. You know, uh, the four-year-old Kyle is very much into Santa and the whole thing, so it's really fun to sort of see him, uh, see it all through his eyes there. The two-year-old Jake, not so much. Like, he is saying ho, ho, ho for Santa, but I don't, obviously he doesn't get really what's going on. But he likes the lights, he likes the tree. Yeah, uh, give him a year. He, yeah, he will next exactly. Year. I think this time next year... He'll be full in, and then it'll be even cooler. But, you know, I, I'm going to end on this uh, for this part of the. I think that sometimes people get so focused on the holidays, and, and they just get focused in on Christmas Day and, and nothing else. And I think that's a mistake. There's so many cool activities, uh, particularly with kids here in, the, in a big city like the Bay Area. You know, we've been doing special stuff every weekend, whether it was riding the, the cable cars and going to see, like, a gingerbread house, or, you know, the zoo has lights, or... Union Square was all dressed up. We went to that. Uh, this w weekend, we're going to go ice skating at the Academy of Science. So there's always something to do, and I think that's the best part of it, is how it sort of stretches out over three or four weekends. You know, holiday parties for the adults and the rest of it. But I think you really have to embrace the whole month of December, particularly if you have kids. And to me, that's like where it's really fun. It's not even really about Christmas Day for me, I, I just try to sort of enjoy the whole thing and everything that comes with it. And I've had a lot more fun when I sort of broaden that that sense of an experience, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. And I, I'm, I'm 100% with you. And, and you touched on virtually everything that's a component uh, of that for me. And that is it starts with something I did last weekend with this uh, – white elephant gift exchange with friends. It's really just about being with the people you're close to around the season, finding a reason to get together. Um, you know, everyone brings some unique booze, uh, a unique gift and, uh, and have a good time, which we did. Uh, you mentioned like zoo lights. I actually did that a weekend ago um, with some friends. They, they've got them at the Oregon zoo. It's, uh, it's a pretty fun experience. It was freezing cold, but they had a uh, cider with rum in it. So that was all good. And, uh, and really, like you said, stretching out the holidays, too. Um, now it's part of our tradition almost always to go up to Lake Tahoe with uh, my dad's side of the family. So I'm going to do that a few days after Christmas over the New Year's. Awesome. Okay. And, uh, and, yeah, there's just there's so much to get a little bit of time away um, and also just to kind of enjoy all the different components of the ability to kind of get people together and, uh, and, and also just – just really stretch it out, like you said. I, I, I'm totally with you there. All right, cool. Well, I think we've hit it hard enough. I, I had another wild card, but it's not super important. Um, let's just end it here. We've we've gone long enough. <laughs> um, that'll do it for 2018. We'll reconvene in the new year uh, after the college football playoffs. I'm very hopeful that I'm preparing for a possible trip to see the Tide play at Levi's Stadium in the national championship. Uh, I've definitely got my eye on that, so... I'm hopeful for that. And honestly, I'm really fired up for the for that game, Ryan. Really fired up for Alabama and OU. And also Clemson and Notre Dame. I, I think, you know, I've said it before. I, I We obviously love college football. And as much as the bowls suck, there are some good bowl games. But I really think they've got this four-team playoff pretty darn good. You know, I'm not going to be upset if they don't go to eight. I, I think the two semifinal games on one day is really awesome. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm really looking forward to it. So, uh, yeah, that's about where, where I'm yep. at heading into the holiday. 
Awesome, man. Well, happy holidays to you and yeah. happy new year as well. We'll, uh, we'll get back on the horse in 2019. All right. Great, man. I'll, I'll stay in touch during, during the bowl season. Happy holidays to you and Kim and happy holidays to everybody out there. We'll see you in the new year. Good night. Happy holidays, everyone.